Your demon. Speaking of your demon, oh, this is very fitting. Yeah, it demons. is. It's true. Oh no, we've already we haven't introduced the show. We've introduced the theme. We've yeah. So introduced. The theme, I can't even say the word introduced. The theme for this week's show that will remain mysterious. We don't know who we are or what the show is, but the theme is demons. Demons and evil Welcome stuff. to Super Duper Stitches. The paranormal podcast about the science of the strange. And the demons. And the demons the of, science the day. of the demons. The science of the demons. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. And <laughs> we're back think again. about that one. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> probably Wyatt. Maybe Wyatt right now. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, but welcome back, everybody. How y'all doing? Uh, if you're new to the show, Jake and I talk about science we talk about strangeness mostly paranormal events and cryptozoological happenings we try to understand it from the point of view of our science backgrounds Indeed, and we try have and understand been trained what, thoroughly what what could actually be going on that isn't necessarily magic or something um and we you know we can't always explain it and, and you, therefore it's magic <laughs> so there you have it that's the whole show <laughs> And uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. Thanks. See you later. What, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, we, oh yeah, I don't have any Sharpay updates this week, which <laughs> is good, or Sharpay corrections this week. I do have a sort of Phantom of the Chicago update, mm-hmm. but not really an update. The Phantom of the Chicago is the series of flying humanoid bat creatures seen in the Chicago metro area for the past several years. Extremely flesh-like in <laughs> quality. Especially flesh-like. Um, I might not even play the theme this time. I don't know. Oh, well, I'll put it right here. Okay, it's there. Uh, <laughs> the, this time, it's not. I have several stories to share about more sightings that have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, this is just a fun comment that someone kind of related to this. A subhu- uh, subhuman. A subreddit about just like. A subhuman oh, about yeah. Reddit? <laughs> a subreddit about uh, once in a lifetime photos or something. And then the mm-hmm. humanoid encounter subreddit, which is what I was starting mm-hmm. to say, happened to repost one of these posts saying, oh, this is relevant. Mm-hmm. So here's a photo of an owl seen from below. And someone said, interesting how this owl looks humanoid from this point of view. Yes, it could. So it's an owl looking straight down. So it's something that would be where you to see it in passing in yeah. the dark. This is Especially like a flash if it was 10 feet long or whatever they were saying. <laughs> yes. We got an 11-foot wingspan. It looks like it's yeah, six, we got six, ourselves like a barn owl kind of looking. So yeah. it would be. And, uh, yeah, wide wings, and its legs are very... Straight back behind it. Straight back behind it. It's looking like straight down with very forward-facing eyes, which owls are famously uh, held in great regard for. <laughs> Unlike most birds, their eyes are pointed straight forward. I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of birds of prey, you think of, like, hawks and stuff. They don't right. have that kind of flat face like that. Right, so. the flat face, indeed. <clears throat> Although so, owls' ears are not perfectly aligned, which helps them locate prey. They're on the front and back of their head. Yes, <laughs> of the head and butt. <laughs> so I thought that was a fun kind of just example of how an everyday sort of animal could look a little more mysterious if you don't know what you're seeing at right. first. Especially if illuminated from below by a lamplight, like all of them are apparently <laughs> during these <laughs> yeah, encounters. These different streetlights that are the, shining uh, up as well as down. Yes, yes, during these uh, Phantom of the Chicago encounters. So that's all I got for that this week. It's just, uh, I'll save the other ones for another time. I think we both have a lot to say today. So yeah. when we have yeah. less to say, I'll mm-hmm. cram in those silly, silly sightings that we all crave. You have any updates, Mr. Shell? Nope. Okay. We've got spring coming in over here in North America. Pretty hard. Like three days, two days? Yeah. It's going to so. be the vernal equinox. Mm-hmm. What are the beers? The beer we're drinking right now is 
Abbey Road. Just kidding. Abbey <laughs> Ale. Alyosha, or however you want to say that, from Lamplighter Brewing. Yeah, Alyosha. Why not? It's an Abbey Ale. I got these back around <laughs> the autumnal equinox. I guess that's September. Back in the autumn times when you were headed off to Australia, I got these and pined for you. And now we're finally drinking them. And they taste like yearning and ale. I might opened be, the beer, be. drank the beer, cried into the can, <laughs> resealed it, and we're drinking that. And there's a weird film on the top of it. <laughs> um, it might be Al Yosha. I oil. <laughs> yeah. Al Yosha, that could be. Um, just kidding. Yeah, it's good. Oh, I just splashed them on myself. <laughs> that might just be water. I rinsed yeah, it, it is water, isn't it? Uh, it's quite good. How about you, Jake? How are you doing? I'm fine. Let's go. All right. So today we're talking about demons. You said that <laughs> while crying. I can see the tears just. So, you know, I have a tendency to kind of dip into Reddit threads when I can, trying to find mm-hmm. firsthand accounts of stuff. We love firsthand accounts more than anything because they have that personal touch. They feel more real when someone's really freaked out by a thing sure. they can't explain. Um, they aren't just whatever listicle happens to be talking about a, a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And so Reddit tends to be a pretty good place to find those because that's what it all is, is people posting about stuff they want to say. I found um, that the humanoid encounters subreddit tends to be pretty lucrative for me in terms of the kind of stuff we both like to look into, especially the more uh, ghoulish type things. That's not what this is this time. Luckily, we're going to save <laughs> our favorite stuff for probably the another next Another fucking ghoul. <laughs> yeah. And another fucking Sasquatch, Wyatt. <laughs> We've decided that in all likelihood that's what the next episode is probably going to be. So you can decide to skip that now if that you want to. That could be the title. <laughs> another fucking ghoul. Another fucking Parentheses, Another fucking Sasquatch. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Our old fallbacks. Because we're talking about demons and just generally evil type, you know, malevolent S- spiritual stuff. forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided I would look for something like that along the old uh, Reddit yeah, get your, get your crosses out now. Get your Bibles out. But you don't need them quite yet because my story does not follow the usual Christian and or just Abrahamic sort of lore <laughs> stuff. It usually tends to be pretty Christian stuff, even more specifically Catholic type stuff. Yes. In this case, we're not even looking at European, like that Ooh. kind of Western influence. We're talking instead First Nations. Oh. We've, ta- we've talked that a few times in recent episodes and in general, that kind of stuff comes up, especially when we talk about Sasquatch or any kind of like cryptid things like, yes. oh... What do the people who lived here before think of these monsters that apparently are also here? This one's fun because someone actually, in their own words, giving their story. So instead of talking about Very cool. what Native Americans might be saying, we got uh, straight out of the uh, old, uh, type and hands of a person who said themselves. I could have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Most people probably could. Uh, so here is Reddit user, hey, I'm Chrissy's post, entitled, <laughs> Something Terrorized My Town. Right out of, hey, I'm Chrissy's mouth. <laughs> and also Compton. Uh, quote, I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll just write it all in chronological order from when I heard other people's stories and then experience whatever it was for myself. <laughs> to preface this, I should mention that all this took place back home on my reservation. I'm Algonquin First Nation from Canada. Another thing I should mention is that on the res, traditional beliefs and legends of the paranormal are still a big part of our community. The attitude of most people towards the paranormal is one of assurance to us the paranormal is a regular part of life we believe in a spirit world and we believe that sometimes these beings can cross over into our world and maybe even live among us when i tell paranormal stories to my non-native friends they're always in such disbelief that things like this have actually happened and how casually i talk about it right but it's only because it's been so normalized for me 
but it makes sense if the culture is different like for you know the, the standard kind of just white american culture it's like oh ghosts are there is that statistic going around about how how many people believe in some kind of paranormal thing whether it be ghosts or cryptids or UFOs. Pretty, pretty astonishing statistics for later excellent excellent so a lot of people do tend to believe in that kind of stuff pretty wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, but in general, like if someone you know says that they have some kind of haunting experience or something, it's usually a big deal for them and for you. Right. In this case, it's a culture where, oh, that's something that's part of life and it's just that's, that's the way Monday. things work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today's Tuesday, Wyatt. Um, but that's Monday. Yes, yes, exactly. Where they have absolutely no paranormal experiences, I have a bunch and most uh, and most everyone I know on the res has even more than I do. I don't really care to explain it. Maybe we're all crazy from drinking our toxic tap water, LOL, in parentheses, at Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. So pretty good burn there politically. <laughs> uh, anyway, here's the story. God. This all happened in the fall of 2011 when I was 16 years old. I was living in a nearby city with my mom so that I could get a better education than the one I could get back home. But we go back every single weekend to see my dad and little brother. On Friday during the drive back home, I got a text from a friend of mine. She told me about a party that was happening that night and asked me when I'd be able to go home so they could come pick me up. I gave her a time and that was that. Mm-hmm. We got home and as soon as we stepped inside the house, we see my dad and my cousin sitting at the kitchen table drinking some beers. They're both cops on the res, so usually beers with his partner on a Friday evening means that they had a particularly tough week at work. Goodbye. Typically the toughest cases to deal with are the child abuse and molestation ones, so a part of me felt sad immediately that something that bad had happened. Hmm. Uh, they both looked tired and drained, but they were happy to see us. We say our greetings, catch up a little, and my dad asked me if I have any plans. I tell him about the party and where it'll be, and he and our cousin share a weird look. Why are you guys making that face? Did something happen, I asked. Uh, I don't know. Should we tell her, my cousin said, looking at my dad. He laughed, and they decided that they should probably know what's been going on since I'd be going to a cottage pretty deep in the woods later that evening. They start with the first strange call they got on Monday night. An older woman called, saying that people were outside of her house knocking on all of her windows. She said she couldn't see anybody, but there must have been at least three people judging by all the different locations of the knocking. They arrived at the woman's home, inspected all around the house, even checked the woods, but nothing came up. Hmm. They tell her that it's probably just some teenagers playing tricks on her and that there isn't much else they can do besides patrol around the area in case they come back. Right. On Wednesday night, the same woman called again with the same problem. It had rained that day, and there was mud all around the woman's home, so they figured that at the very least, they'd find footprints, but mm-hmm. they couldn't find a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when they started feeling like something was off, because mm-hmm. one of the windows there, um, where the woman was adamant there was there had been knocking, um, was completely impossible to get to without stepping through this huge mud puddle. Mm-hmm. So there should have been footprints if that had been actually happening. What if they just had really long arms? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like 10 foot long arms. Oh, that'd be so creepy. I just made me think of a click hole thing. Uh, I'll have to... Actually, I got something uh, <laughs> uh, Like click hole op-ed or blog thing <laughs> saying, I'm starting to worry my Prince Charming will never drive up to oh. my house in his homemade station wagon with his mom in the back seat, hogging his La Cucaracha horn and waving his nine foot long arms. <laughs> I've seen this one. <laughs> it's a pretty great one. <laughs> I will link to that one for the hell of it. Why not? Why not? Click hole, a national treasure. It's true. Uh, this is when they started to think that the woman was lying, but they just told her the same thing they told her a few nights prior. There's not much that could do, but you know, let, her, let them know right. something keep else us, was wrong. Keep us posted. Yeah. Um, by Thursday night, everyone on the res had been talking about those these strange experiences. It turns out this woman wasn't the only one experiencing the knocking. What? She was just the only one to call the police. Ugh. I mean, all this was taking place on a res, so it wasn't long before people were linking it to supernatural causes. 
My dad was still sure it was just a group of teens pranking people, but then they mm. got another call from the same woman for the same reason. They rushed over and were met with the same situation, except this time, the neighbor walked over looking pale as a ghost. Ooh. She said in parentheses, that's saying something for brown people, LOL. Oh, God. This. <laughs> Carry on. He says, is this about the knocking? They notice he's a little shaky. Uh, yeah, did you see something? They asked him. The man nodded and said, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but yeah. And he goes on to explain what he saw. He said that he'd stepped outside for a cigarette on his front porch when he heard knocking. He looked around to see where it was coming from, and when he looked to his neighbor's house, he saw it. There was a black figure standing outside the woman's window, the same one with the mud puddle I mentioned, looking into her home. He said it looked humanoid in stature, but completely made of shadow. You could tell it was something solidish, but you couldn't make out any features on it. Hmm. He stared at it, completely in shock, and watched the thing as uh, as it knocked a couple of times and then darted around the house, knocking on every single window. Wow. He said it moved too fast to be human. It was practically a blur. Went around the house a few times, then ran across the road into the tree line behind one tree in particular. Hmm. The man was frozen, but he couldn't look away. It then leaned out from behind the tree, staring directly at him with yellow eyes that reflected the light similarly to a cat's, and then it smiled, showing its small but numerous pointed and sharp teeth. Ooh. Yeah. I almost shit my pants, he had attempted to joke, but his voice was still shaking. <laughs> and then he did. Yeah, and then he did. <laughs> Uh, fast forward to Friday. Stories are being exchanged all over the res about other sightings and experiences people were having. On top of multiple people experiencing the knocking, there were also quite a few sightings with everyone describing the creature in the same way. Hmm. One woman was bringing her trash bin to the road when she thought she saw someone in her peripheral vision standing near the trees. She walked back up the driveway and into her home, feeling like she was being watched. Right before she was about to open her door to go back inside her home, she looked back and saw two reflective eyes watching her from the trees. She said it was about five feet from the ground. Another couple was driving at night and saw a humanoid figure standing in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. As they got closer, they slowed down and it turned around to face them. Mm-hmm. That's when they saw the reflective yellow eyes and the sharp pointed teeth as it smiled at them. <laughs> they stopped the car, too afraid to get closer to it, until they decided to just drive past it. Being a narrow road, they drove past it with the figure being only a few feet from the window, staring at them the whole time they drove hmm. by. You sure you still want to go to that party, my dad asks? But my friends were already <laughs> pulling into the driveway. So I gave my family hugs and kisses goodbye, and they told me to be careful, but I felt fine. ruh Yeah. The end. Now, um, a common belief among Native people is that negative energy attracts negative energy. Mm-hmm. Therefore, an evil spirit will be drawn to people with unresolved issues and traumas mm-hmm. and quote-unquote sinners, I suppose. If you're someone who is spiritual, self-aware, and basically a good person, that in and of itself will be protective. So she wasn't worried that anything was going to go wrong. Like, oh, mm. I'm not like thinking too much about this thing. I don't care that much. It's fine. Whatever. Mm. I get to the party, and within 20 minutes, the conversation shifts towards all the paranormal experiences people have been having. Mm. I'm really curious about what everyone is, has to say because they have stories that I haven't heard yet. My friend, uh, and I, I edited this a little bit because she didn't specify names and, and actually has, at one point, a diagram describing the layout of the cabin where different people were, but numbering them and saying, oh, huh. and so I just gave them arbitrary names. Sure. Um, so we get a little insight into your uh, character development here. <laughs> yes. Uh, my friend Amy. Amy, us, that's a terrible name. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, us being 16 and all, couldn't hold her alcohol very well and was crying about how she wishes she was closer with her brother. I was trying to make her feel better while listening to everyone's stories. One of the people at the party was related to the neighbor of the woman who was calling the police. Uh, the experience really shook him up, and my friend was just explaining everything that he was doing later on. For one, he smudged his entire home, which is something our people do when we're looking for extra protection against paranormal entities. 
He also went to visit multiple elders around the community asking for advice and any information they had on similar happenings. What we do know about paranormal experiences on the res is that they don't happen as often as they used to. If you talk to one of our elders, they have endless stories and even more advice to give about how to protect yourself compared to now. Hmm. Uh, One of the explanations that was given to this guy about the shadow thing was that it was evidence that someone was doing an unauthorized shaking tent ceremony. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. I did not because she explains it anyway. Um, (laughs) But it's basically, and I'm generalizing, like a Ouija board session that takes place inside a tent of some sort. Hmm. It's kind of, you know, it's seance-ish. People Mm -hmm. stand around the tent while the medicine man or medicine woman goes inside and asks questions. The tent begins to shake and you can hear the voices of spirits coming through. Mm-hmm. I've never personally been to one because we haven't had a good enough reason to make one. Mm-hmm. But typically, our ancestors used shaking tent ceremonies when they were starving in the dead of winter and needed some direction on where the nearest food source was. Hmm. My mom's been to one, and her story is absolutely crazy. Hmm. She described multiple voices of men and women only speaking the native tongue, and they were upset that the people were doing a shaking tent ceremony when they weren't on the verge of death. Huh. The people there had to explain that they were only doing the ceremony to prove that it was real as we had been losing our culture as a result of residential schools, but the spirits were angry about this, saying that the bridge between the two worlds should never be opened unless absolutely necessary, hmm. because we don't know, uh, you don't know who you're communicating with. Mm-hmm. It could be evil spirits and it could be good ones. It could be ancestors, but you never know. I do like the difference here between that and like wage sessions or seances in more kind of uh, European-based cultures. And this is just the idea that the spirits are not They're in not the mood for it. your bullshit. In a weird way, it kind of validates it in a funny sense. Yeah, instead of like, oh, spirits want to communicate with us all the time about any of our dumb shit. Yeah, like, right. They're kind of, there to play the game. Yeah, the idea of, actually, there's a pretty fun, um, funny whitest kids you know sketch about a Ouija board <laughs> session where a demon appears and is really annoyed that it's just like some teenage girls who are asking questions about who has a crush on them and stuff. And, yeah, right. <laughs> but the cute. idea that spirits would communicate with us about any mundane bullshit on any given session whenever you want to. Mm-hmm is stupid so the idea that, oh no it's only when it's critically important to our survival that we do these ceremonies and that's the only time that our ancestors are actually okay i'll throw, I'll throw you yeah. a bone on this one yeah yeah anyway she says the elders told him that his uh, that this spirit crossed over into our world because of a shaking tent ceremony hmm. someone on the reserve has been doing them without consultation of the elders so we started thinking about who would do that without proper guidance and without good enough reason to do so then two of the drunkest dudes at this point started saying shit like, ah, I'm not scared. That thing could show up right now and it couldn't do shit. Basically egging it on. Mm-hmm. All of us were looking at each other like, why the fuck would you disrespect an evil spirit? It's exactly how you attracted to you. And that's when I decided to leave the sunroom where everyone was hanging out. Went to the living room to console my drunk crying friend Amy when I noticed that the rocking chair outside on the porch was going back and forth. I looked away immediately, refusing to make direct eye contact. But I did look at it from my peripheral vision. I'm inside the cottage, and I keep seeing this rocking chair going back and forth and back and forth. But another thing um, we're raised to do in our culture is to ignore paranormal experiences. Hmm. Spirits feed on the energy that people put towards them. So Mm -hmm. if you freak out, if you get angry, if you yell at it or start crying, that's exactly what it wants, and it will stick around once it gets a reaction. Mm -hmm. It thrives on energy of any kind. So while I knew something fucked up was happening on the rocking chair, I wasn't about to pay any attention. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of area where I sort of justified using this story for this theme because mm-hmm. this is sort of a universal idea behind these different dark energy type Absolutely. stories in any culture is that the more focus you give to it, the more power it gives it. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about the psychology of that too, how that totally. Work, but no, yeah, yeah. But it's just neat that that happens to be. I like it. Though. So yeah, universal in that way. Exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, five minutes or so go by, and I'm still seeing the rocking chair move in the corner of my eye. That's when Amy screams, and she runs to the other side of the sunroom. My other friend, Tom, sprints to where Amy was sitting and bursts through the French doors onto the balcony. All this happens in a split second, but I immediately go to the patio and ask what's going on. Amy is crying on the couch with friends all around her. She claims to have seen the spirit, which we later nicknamed Kokogi, Algonquin word for monster. She said she was listening to the boys talk about the spirit when she saw Tom's face as he was looking onto the, hmm. out onto the balcony behind her. She turned around to see what he was looking at, and directly on the other side of the window was the shadow spirit sitting on the rocking chair, smiling at her, literally three feet from her. Hmm. That's when Tom sprints towards it and bursts at the French doors. I walk outside to find Tom, and he's on the lawn, staring into the woods. I call his name, and he looks up at me. All he says is, get everyone inside. And the tone of his voice just makes me automatically obey. Mm-hmm. I get all the drunk teenagers inside the cottage. This is when the phrase, come at me, bro, was just getting popularity. So you can imagine the drunk <laughs> kids yelling that into the woods. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I eventually get everyone inside, and Amy isn't crying anymore, but she is visibly shaking, uh, mm-hmm. shaken from the experience. Tom comes back inside and tells everyone to clean up and that we should leave as soon as possible. Everyone has trash bags and are cleaning away all the beer bottles and cans. Uh, everyone goes into the cottage, and it's only me and Tom in the sunroom now. I look to him for answers, and all he says is, it's outside. Mm-hmm. I nod and start cleaning faster. The sooner we're out of here, the sooner we're away from that thing. As we're cleaning in the sunroom, we hear knocking on the windows in multiple places. Hmm. The entire sunroom is made of glass, but it's dark out, so you can't even see outside. I immediately look at Tom, and he just says, ignore it. Within two seconds, someone comes running out of the bathroom and says, I'll fucking kill whoever's knocking uh, outside knocking on the bathroom window, but everyone's inside and accounted for. Someone else comes running out, um, out of the bedroom saying that there was knocking on the window in there as well. Mm-hmm. Now everyone's freaking out and me, Tom, and our um, one friend are the only sober ones to calm everyone down. We get the place clean and get um, outside of the cars immediately. Everyone's getting into the trucks and I'm standing with Tom. He's relaxed, but then all of a sudden looks behind me and shoves me inside his truck. We peel out of the driveway and drop everyone off. Mm-hmm. A few days later, I end up hanging out with Tom and he tells me the story from his perspective. Mm-hmm. He said that when the boys started talking about uh, shit about the spirit, it appeared in the rocking chair behind Amy. Mm-hmm. He said he made eye contact with it and couldn't look away. They were staring each other down, and that's when Amy saw his expression. Mm-hmm. He said it was uh, his instinct was to defend the people he was with, so he ran towards it. I uh, said that the feeling he was getting from the Kokogi was almost like it was daring him to do something. The second he got up, the Kokogi stood and ran into the woods, disappearing from the patio in a blur. Mm. Tom ran off the porch was looking around the lawn when he saw it standing at, um, at the tree line, looking right at him with a smile on his face. Hmm. So the whole time, it felt like it was mocking him. When I called Tom's name, it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't see it again until everyone was getting into the trucks, which explains why he suddenly pushed me inside. He said that it was standing on the far end of the truck, super close to us. Hmm. Later that night, when he dropped everyone off, they realized that they never locked the door. So he went back to the cottage, but his friend, whose cottage it was, was too scared to go in. Tom goes in by himself. Oh, my God. Uh, but the second he opens the door, he sees the thing standing inside the living room. <laughs> oh, God. So he locks the door as quick as he can, and they peel out of the driveway. Which, at that point, I don't really know what per- service they're doing by locking the door if it's if inside. If the thing is just inside, yeah. <laughs> like, well, exactly. I guess it'll still be there when we get back. Yeah, now. we've locked it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sightings continued for a few days after that. We definitely weren't the only people on the res to have experiences like this, and then it stopped all of a sudden. It was the talk of the res. Everyone was curious about what happened to it. Mm-hmm. Would it come back? What was it? Etc. But word ended up getting around that there were sightings north of our community. 
white people in the town just north of us were having sightings. Mm-hmm. Then other reservations were having sightings as well. It was like it was traveling north the way the sightings were going. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's 2018 now, and no one else on my reserve has had any sightings of this particular thing. But yeah, that's my story. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Fun, creepy, woods, spirit kind of combo. Yeah, it's... Man. I did discover while I was looking into this story that there is a website called unexplained.report that posts people's accounts <laughs> of weird happenings mm-hmm. and often just kind of reposts them verbatim from Reddit. Took right. me a lot of tracking down to figure, like, to actually get to the original story on Reddit from some of these right. um, because it doesn't link to stuff. It does say, it literally says, like, the username, and some of it says Reddit username. Like, oh, thank God, I can go to their profile and then find their posts from there oh i see so that's how i found this back, that way kind of back uh, um so this is actually found a couple of neat stories on there i think the person who runs that site may actually get people's permission to post stuff beforehand i'm not positive of that yeah yeah oh i like your story can i put it on this thing right others i think people submit directly i'm not totally sure how it works right um we have an account now just so you know <laughs> <laughs> nice i didn't know if that would help us or not like, like, <laughs> because i couldn't I was like, maybe if we have to have an account to click on people's profile that i do see it. yeah you weren't secretly just trying to share your own stories? No. <laughs> if I had stories, we would have heard them episodes ago. Many, That's true. At least 58 <laughs> episodes ago. Now, um, the reason I bring that up Take is because when I, was, yeah, bec- when I was looking for um, this story, all the stories on that website happened to have some kind of illustration or image to go with them that kind of captured the Ooh. spirit of Did what the story is about. This? And so this I'm is imagining the a Cheshire cat monster kind, kind of, of thing this is the image they used for i think this is the one maybe it's this one this is the image they used for um Ooh. this story which i think is pretty cool that's cool piece of artwork i couldn't find the original source of this artwork but it's just pretty Missing and creepy out on the, and, uh grin yeah which is, there was another one i think i saw somewhere else that had like just big eyes and a big smile but right just the idea of a shadow like a figure made entirely of shadow except for right. glowing eyes and visible Spooky. teeth smiling yeah. i mean if so, we take the story as absolutely true then jesus very creepy teenagers having a party everyone's been talking about these experiences right uh, and then they're all most of them are drunk and something weird's happening there's definitely an element of priming happening oh, where they're all in Absolutely. that mindset yeah uh people drunk in different rooms hear anything outside and think oh something's tapping on the windows and will come and say that that's what happened right so there's definitely a degree to which it could be blown out of proportion as far as seeing stuff i don't know how to explain that away i mean it's yeah it's well it can play into that same space of priming oneself yeah for and sure once you're ready for like oh this, this is happening yeah. and even more so if it's the deal where well this is the kind of thing that can happen and you're not exactly. so weirded up by it then it seems more natural if it happens even if you're not freaked out you'd be like oh well okay this is this happening this is a real there thing. it is yeah that gets right into my stuff too which i don't know maybe i'll save that for my section but suffice sure. it to say that you know as much as objective reality may provide very little to no support for things like you know a shadow demon kind of creature right one's mind is quite literally where all of external information is interpreted and with enough i mean it sounds cheap to say imagination but imagination really yeah you can make things happen for yourself in a way that is quite frightening and in a case where it's a smaller community with a lot, everyone believing this is happening and right. having their own stories Collective share. validation of a same similar narrative. Yeah. So may have been independent cases of different just random weird stuff happening that right. all then are assigned the same label as, oh, it's this spirit. Right. Once everyone starts getting on the hype train of that and is talking about it, then everyone is on board with, oh, this is happening and they're right. ready for it. So it could be then that 
you go to this party and like oh shit there it is it's right on it's the patio I, yeah right cool fun spooky fun That's creepy cool. yeah and an interesting little story and I, I, very well written for reddit especially <laughs> yeah right um and <laughs> neat too because it's it has that kind of um you know credulousness to it where it's not it's not like oh guys this fucking thing like, i can't believe this it's more of right the fact that it is so soberly recounted makes it that much less like i, I do dismissible believe that, yeah i do believe that this is exactly what happened for these people sure what they saw i don't necessarily think is an actual uh you know elemental evil spirit <laughs> but i do think that they saw something or had an encounter or had an experience that freaked them out yeah exactly right. as they described i'm kind of on the knife's edge between that and someone who very carefully but legitimately wrote a piece of frightening fiction could be yeah um they tried to weed that stuff out on the subreddit but it's really hard to do but i, I th- reading this other like I, I went to this person's profile to see what other stuff they have and they um they don't have a lot of posts of their own they have some comments on other stuff that's cool um, they have one of their posts that's like oh a different just random kind of paranormal story of theirs that they shared someplace sure. else that was sure. just like a short minor thing and um it's like oh i had this thing happening one time i couldn't explain whatever right so not nearly as sensational right so yeah. that makes me think oh this is exactly as she says right. this is the kind of thing i experience sometimes it's not a huge deal it's kind of weird and creepy right i'll share it when it's interesting but it's not a huge deal right so i do believe it to be a real account that's su- that's really cool i <laughs> funny enough uh my girlfriend and i have been watching these sort of mini docs on like various paranormal or otherwise supernatural events and happenings and things we've well i say this like we've been watching a ton we've seen two so far but (laughs) hilariously despite the fact that both happen in very different parts of america and are very different topics the very first thing that is reached for as a possible explanatory value is indigenous peoples first Mm -hmm. nations peoples and they're sort of you know the magical quality of, yes yes about that last week how that is so easy for white oh, people to say like oh well it's like a compulsion it's like oh well they were here and they so. and they are magic like anything a conduit for and so then if it if a given story happens to fit in with a particular legend then that just makes it real like oh okay, right. well if they have a story like that then that is a real thing and we're seeing right. the thing that they describe it's like well Maybe you're both describing a different thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, my critical take on that is I, I'm not trying to say that these cultures didn't have very valid and awesome, you know, mystical qualities. Sure. As any healthy culture, I think, even should in some sense. Absolutely. But it's just that, that very Caucasian kind of othering yes the like oh it was the others that made this happen yes yeah, so, uh, and, and oh, that particular so insane how often the particular happens. compulsion to make any native people from north america right. into magical like unknowable exactly mystical, it's yeah. just like colonial inheritance right there yep. writ large absolutely so so yeah we can transition now into damn oh, this is good oh, i haven't tried it yet holy crap Oh, it smells like it's got a lot going on for it. Mm. Oh, wow. We are drinking. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. It's like that. All right. I need to shout out Rachel, friend of the show. Thank you so much for this Treehouse beer. God damn, this is good. Which one is this? It's <laughs> Treehouse Impermanence. Impermanence, which is a, an imperial milk stout. And I it don't think it may be had... among the best I've ever tasted. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it reminds me of walking into a, a Tim Hortons 
and then drinking the air first thing in the morning. <laughs> but like that. sweeter and not so much like the uh, taste of tiles and cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the, specifically the coffee and donuts part. Coffee and donuts, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I had a too holistic view of the experience <laughs> and missed the entire not, purpose of the analogy. just the building. Yes. The part when you walk in that's nice. That thing. <laughs> But yeah, there's a yes, lot of I agree. just that kind of coffee shop slash don't. I get more donut shop than coffee shop. It's got a sweetness to it that I like. A donut shop that serves coffee. Mm-hmm. Wow. But not Dunkin' Donuts because it sucks. Yeah, they don't serve coffee there. They serve hot minestrone soup without beans that happens to be <laughs> caffeinated. God forbid you get coffee black because that will be horrible. I hate Dunkin' Donuts. Don't drink it. If you think you're drinking coffee, you're dumb. I um I don't drink coffee, so I will take your word. Yep, it's garbage. But you know what I like? Donuts. Yeah, <laughs> you Tim can Hortons, drink donuts. <laughs> yes, and I do regularly. Oh, but no, Tim Hortons has better donuts than Dunkin'. I know, as a New Englander, that may sound like sacrilege. Some kind of blasphemy. Pretty close indeed. to Boston right now, but uh, Tim Hortons is better. I don't disagree. I'm sad. I mean, yeah, we're in New Hampshire, but I feel I'm sad that we're so far south. <laughs> Oh. That we can't get Tim Hortons here because they're the starting to spread into Maine when I lived Timmy there. Timmy Hort. Yeah. Timmy Ho-Ho's as we called Timmy it. Timmy Ho-Ho's, really. The days, but uh, they're mostly a Canadian staple and I'm, I'm sad they're not here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you want to talk about spooky stuff? <laughs> yes. Uh, did you know, I got this from Quite Interesting, that in the 16th and 17th centuries, hexagons were variously referred to as either sex angles or sexagons? <laughs> I did not know that, but it's I'm It's true, so and you glad. can enjoy that. You All can right. tell your families. All right. So, anyway, for my segment, <laughs> I'll be, be talking about... <laughs> opening with random jokes. I don't know. If so, I'm 100% on board. <laughs> yes. Uh, good. So... I'm not on board. I hate it. It's terrible. <laughs> what, what was that? Oh, no, just, I was just kind of uh, breathing like I do. <laughs> it's very articulate. Quietly, very yes. articulate, quiet breath. <laughs> one might almost call it a whisper can't stop sipping on this tasty beer yeah this is fucking good um so for my segment it will be broadly about possession things we own yes ownership of stuff (laughs) uh no possession in the demonic sense this was brought to our attention by friend and chief executive designer of art of the show art director art director if you will yes (laughs) chief sultan of (laughs) visual grand Um, uh czar yes uh lauren and um yes thank lauren ready thank you lauren thanks lauren thank 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 you you. she's in the next room yeah so i will begin with it's got really quiet over there yeah they're not worried they're like what the fuck right they probably think they're being too loud uh they are not um so <laughs> everyone every, every flow of every conversation in this building <laughs> yeah people downstairs are even like what the fuck is going on up there um so first i will have a story from the 1600s which is sort of typical you're enjoying me poking around <laughs> i was not even <laughs> noticing that but i'm really really interested well, now i need to interrupt my own flow <laughs> first i will start <laughs> A great what's happening to us <laughs> welcome to super superstitious the paranormal podcast where we do not know what we're doing we are falling off the rails in a big way and fast it started today when uh why and i decided to leave work early so we could uh start getting to uh, getting started on this work uh, th- er- so we could start jake you are <laughs> carry on bad. 
decided we'd leave work early so we could try to get to recording a little bit sooner than we normally would. Early for Jake, usual hour for me because I start work at... Like 7 a.m. The hour of the farmer. <laughs> yes. And so we got to my apartment, at which point I realized I did not pack keys today because I did not drive to work today. So naturally, we walked into town, drove into town. And then walked to a bar and then got a couple of drinks. I got a couple of drinks. You got one. You made the correct choice there. I did. So we had a very early start to our usual alcohol intake for recording, which means as we continue to drink while we record, it's just going to get rough. Things get a little bit more interesting. Jake is saying what all we this- say will not get more interesting. Yes. <laughs> but, but how it goes. <laughs> yes. Our inability to articulate will increase yes. at the unfortunate- Your enjoyment of this show is not going to increase. Yes. There's an inverse relationship there. Unfortunately, though, the content itself, the quality of the material we've prepared will be a flat zero line. <laughs> yes. It will not change. <laughs> We'll be struggling to reach that point. But the point. amount that you enjoy it will reduce. So anyway, on that note, allow me to begin my segment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, 17th century. So this is something from the 17th century, and then I will have a bit of an article that Lauren shared with us through contact at superduperstitious.com, which is how, what you can use to reach us. Yeah, please And do. share your tales or topics that you would like us to cover, little little shout out please do write in we love it very much and we promise to mm-hmm. error your stuff on the show and never get back to you in text <laughs> yep <laughs> enjoy <laughs> so anyway without further ado uh the possession of elizabeth knapp aka the groton witch um so the possession of elizabeth knapp of groton massachusetts was documented by samuel willard a prominent preacher in the Puritan Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, and it lasted from about October 30th through uh, 1671 until January 12th, 1672, a time which was exactly 328 long years before Agent Smith would use his own technologically endowed <laughs> ability to forcibly, if temporarily, possess and overwrite the mind states of anyone within the confines of the Matrix in the movie The Matrix. <laughs> Good. Um, I've found my place in time here. Good. Yes. So, Crown, Massachusetts is located 32 miles northwest of Boston, though during the time of Elizabeth Knapp's possession, it was part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, as aforementioned. Groton had a super strict religious atmosphere at the time, being predominantly Puritan. Is Dunstable a school or is it a town? What? Dunstable. Groton Dunstable sounds familiar. My, hmm. A friend of mine from college went to I do not High know. School. I don't know. You're from Western Mass, so I guess you wouldn't yeah, know. Eastern Mass is a foreign country to me. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Keep going. Uh, so, right. As a predominantly Puritan community, they also held views, so super super religious, and held views that women should contribute in the community labor in a big way. Hmm. Super patriarchy style. So, the possession case of Elizabeth Knapp is considered unique and strange in that it was documented and approached from a more relatively thoughtful and even scientific aspect than many others. Knapp, who was 16 at the time, funny enough, similar age to the subject of your previous story, was the servant at the household of Samuel Willard, a prominent reverend in the Church of Groton. When Knapp began to show signs of a demonic possession, Willard called in a medical doctor on several occasions and tried to find a cure for her symptoms. Throughout the entire process, as noted in his journal, 
Knapp seemed to have the most violent fits when Willard was present. Hmm. They finally figure it's possession, and he just keeps documenting. Uh, Willard, now, I don't want to derail you entirely. Please. But I'm like 90% sure that this is the exact story I covered back when we talked about possessions before. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? I I'm not really... Parts of it seem familiar. I feel silly. Let me... But the thing is, I'm not sure. So we're both on the exact same page there, and we can't guarantee all listeners have listened to that episode, and your coverage is different from mine. Mm. Therefore, keep going. Dare we do this? I feel so silly now. You ran this by me before we recorded. I had the chance to say, wait, that sounds familiar, but I was like, no, that sounds fine. (laughs) Let me actually, before I go further... (laughs) just so that we can be on a correct page if this is indeed a retell. <laughs> what episode I don't even I remember. It was... Look for? It, oh, mm, tuberculosis. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it was for you... That was the uh, random vampire cases in New England. Yes, yes, for me, yes. it was a possession case in New England. Mm, there you go. <laughs> tuberculosis. Oh, man. We are recording right now our 58th episode, and we're pretty far gone as far as alcohol intake. The combination of those two things means we do not remember things we've already talked about. This Fuck. I, it is the same account. I'm so sorry. I should have realized that <gasps> Oh, days ago. lordy. Well. Let me cut to the chase. I actually don't even need to talk about it. Okay. It, it was just sort of table setting. How do we both not realize? That's Because, uh, again, it's not your fault that you didn't know that. Because I'm dumb. Exactly. I don't expect much of you. But for me, I thought I would have realized. No, I, at, at the very no, least. When you said the name earlier about what you were talking about, I, I thought it sounded familiar, but I was like, oh, all these different old Puritan names now wow. that sound the same. So I didn't think enough of it to consider. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, let me cut right to the Atlantic article. Go for it. Um, this will save time, too. Anyway. It was going to be kind of long with both of them. Long story short on the Elizabeth Naptail is this chick apparently became possessed and had a horrible time of it for a good roughly six months. Uh, her story kind of ends in a haze. We don't really know what the resolution was, but the, at least the theories that I found associated with it that were non-demonic mm-hmm. were basically that she was extremely upset with her position in society at the time mm. as a servant in the house of the Willard family. Right. She would have had an incredible amount of work to do all the time. And by be, quote unquote becoming possessed, she kind of elevated herself in a very real way from practical slave to kind of object of fascination and and care. Interesting. So she could like act out this crazy thing to sort of resist that sort of cast role that she had yeah similarly and not necessarily mutually exclusive by any means there the other theory i saw was that it could have been the same act but as a rebellion against the hyper puritanical churchy you know cultural vibe of the time so kind of just a a general and, and and further um a rebellion that was contextualized by religion so it was like the fire to fight the fire with basically sure so that's cool because that is totally separate from anything that i said when i talked about this before the main conclusion i had seen was um people thinking that it might have been adult onset huntington's disease 
Interesting. That's right. When I that remember kind of this now. As you're become, saying this, yes. That tends to afflict people more in their late teens, kind of that time frame mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into adulthood. And it doesn't always last that long, too. True. So it could have been just a mental illness kind of thing. She lucked out in that her local priest was someone who didn't then try and you know yeah. do all the shit that a lot of exorcisms end up involving. Right. He was more concerned for just making sure she was safe while this right. was happening. Right. To the benefit of everyone involved, so she ended up surviving. And right. some of the stories I heard, like you said, it was, it's kind of unclear what happened after that. She faded into obscurity once this was over with. But it sounds like she survived, and I think maybe even married and just lived a full life after That's that, cool. which is yeah. great. So very, very a much cool. happier ending than most of these stories tend Absolutely. to have. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of these older cases, it's usually a nun, and as will kind of come up in the Atlantic article, very, well, very, very much comes up in the article itself, but I've kind of scrubbed it out because it's uh, probably could be kind of legit triggering for people out there. Mm. But there is a pretty consistent theme of survivors of abuse mm-hmm. be, quote-unquote, becoming possessed. Yes. And... Uh, I guess we can get into that now. Sure. I was going to say, the table setting that I kind of deprived you of was just a general demonic possession story, which at this point, if you're listening to the show because you're interested in paranormal stuff, you kind of know how that usually plays. Someone's yeah. acting differently. Their voice may even change. Saying things Weird don't bodily sound like contortions. Them. They seem to get un- inhuman strength. Yeah. Just fits in general. Speaking in tongues or speaking in like some different language. That they don't seem to know. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy stuff that would suggest a different entity is inhabiting their body. Right. Um, Often accompanied with very explicit, uh, I'm going to ruin this person's life. I'm going yes. to ruin your lives. I hate the church. I hate God, etc., etc. Right. All this kind of thing. So you know the story. You've seen the movies. Exactly. Here's so, some cool stuff that kind of uh, digs deeper. With that in mind, Mike Mariani, thank you for that table setting, uh, writing for The Atlantic, uh, just this past December is covering the strange and sort of unsettling surge, apparently, in the need for demonic doctoring in America. Hmm. So Mariani couches his article within a contemporary and apparently ongoing possession case afflicting a Louisa Muscovitz. It's very spooky, but again, as I mentioned already, it's maybe more content than we have time for, and could be upsetting for listeners so Mm. i just want to say very much worth reading the article if you guys are interested and that won't like set you off in a bad way very sensitive to that we will for sure link to the whole thing so you can check it out absolutely but um i've excised it from the bits i'll be reading today so have you exercised it from the bits (laughs) yes i should have said exactly uh so Likely contrary to expectation, belief in demonic possession is widespread in the United States today. Polls conducted in recent decades by Gallup and the data firm YouGov suggest that roughly half of Americans believe in demonic possession. Wow. The percentage who believe the devil is uh, real is even higher and has, in fact, been growing. Gallup polls show that the number rose from 55% in 1990 to an astonishing 70% in 2007. Jeez. That's my editorialization. <laughs> he didn't uh, necessarily say it was astonishing. <laughs> so people should just get outside and be a little more secular. <laughs> Holy God. Um, <laughs> no pun intended, I guess. Uh, the official exorcist for Indianapolis has received 1,700 requests so far as of in the year 2018, uh, which I have to just say, I'm surprised that there is an official exorcist for Indianapolis. <laughs> 
what's involved in that job interview and who certifies the title <laughs> and are they like the smelliers of holy water <laughs> just tasting it and like mm, not quite holy enough uh so father vincent lampert the official exorcist for the archdiocese of indianapolis told me as in mike in early october that he'd received 1700 phone calls or emails requesting exorcisms in 2018 by far the most he's ever gotten in one year father gary thomas a priest whose training as an exorcist in rome was documented in the right a book published in 2009 and made into a movie in 2011 said that he gets at least a dozen requests a week for exorcism. Several other priests reported that without support from church staff and volunteers, their exorcism ministries would quickly swallow up their entire weekly schedules. Which is just kind of a funny image, too, to think of someone like, I can't fit you in. Uh, I'm already going to be casting Satan out from (laughs) two to three. I am just swamped. Yeah. Uh, The church has been training new exorcists in Chicago, Rome, and Manila, Thomas told me that in, again, whenever I say me, that is in the voice of the author, uh, that in 2011, the U.S. had fewer than 15 known Catholic exorcists. Today, he said, there are well over 100 other exorcists I spoke with put the number between 70 and 100. (laughs) The inescapable question is why, or rather why now? Why in our modern age are so many people turning to the church for help in banishing incorporeal fiends from their body? And what does this resurgent interest tell us about the figurative demons tormenting contemporary society? Mm. Pretty good questions. In 1921, so he gives us a few examples of a more traditional kind of exorcist story or or possession story. In 1921, a German psychologist named uh, Traugott Osterreich collected historical eyewitness accounts in his book, Possession, Demoniacal and Other. (laughs) Um One incident that crops up again and again involves a young woman named uh, Magdalene in Orlach, Germany. Uh, Born into a family of peasant farmers, Magdalene, or Magdalena, was an industrious child, threshing, hemp-beating, and mowing from dawn until after dusk. Late in the winter of 1831, Magdalena began seeing strange things in the barn where she tended cows. By the following year, she was being tormented by voices, sensations Mm. of physical assault, and according to witnesses, spontaneous outbursts of flames. Wow. That summer, Magdalena complained of a spirit that had, quote, flown upon her, pressed her down, and endeavored to throttle her. Wow. Uh, unquote. Soon, she would fall victim to full possessions. An entity she referred to as the Black One would descend and supplant her consciousness with its own. Quote, in the midst of her work, she sees him in human form coming towards her. A contemporary observer wrote... Then she sees him approach, always from the left side, feels as it were a cold hand which seizes the back of her neck, and in this way he enters into her. Interesting, Uh, it's always from the left side. (laughs) Indeed. Um, One witness to Magdalena's possessions was dumbfounded. Quote, the transformation of personality is absolutely marvelous, he wrote. Hmm. Not in the sense of wonderful. Or in the sense of wonderful, in the sense of astounding. (laughs) Uh, the girl loses consciousness, her ego disappears, or rather withdraws, to make way for a fresh one. Another mind has now taken possession of this organism, of these sensory organs, of these nerves and muscles, speaks with its throat, thinks with these cerebral nerves, and that in so powerful a manner that the half of the organism is, as it were, paralyzed. 
Wow. So again, just going to lengths to try to articulate the intensity with which these possession events occur. These people were just like, I can't stress to you enough how fully transformed this person seems. Yeah. The case studies Osterreich collected served as one of the chief inspirations for William Peter Blatty's 1971 novel, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Which was adapted into the 1973 horror film with the same name. Yeah. The Exorcist. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and is considered by many to be one of the most frightening films ever made. I just imagine all 10 being best exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) Best supporting role of Satan in a movie. (laughs) So part of the exorcist's appeal may have been the faint but unmistakable sense that it was drawn from real events. Mm -hmm. One Catholic exorcist I spoke with who was around for the film's release believes that its success revealed a latent aspect of the American chapter. Quote, it confirmed something deep in the popular imagination, something very visceral, very irrational, beyond science, far buried beneath medicine and psychology, this huge fear that these things are true. Mm. It may surprise some Catholics to learn just how literally the modern church interprets Satan and his army of demons. While many people today understand the devil as a metaphor for sin, temptation, and unresolvable evil in the world, the Pope consistently repudiates such allegorical readings. In sermons, interviews, and occasionally in tweets, Pope Francis has declared that Satan, whom he has referred to as Beelzebub, the seducer, the great dragon, Donald, the bag of beast, is a literal being devoted to deceiving and debasing humans. We should not think of the devil as a myth, as a representation, a symbol, a figure of speech, or an idea, but rather as a personal being who assails us. Hmm. Exorcisms also occur in some Protestant and non-denominational churches, but the Catholic Church has the most formal, rigorous, and long-standing tradition. The Church sees the influence that demons and their leader, the devil, can have on human beings as much like gender or sexual orientation, I added that, existing on a spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> Demonic oppression, in which a demon pressures a person to accept evil, lies on one end. Demonic possession, in which one or more demons seize control of a person's body and speak through that person, lies on the other end. Hmm. So in some cases, you aren't possessed, you're just oppressed. <laughs> Catholic priests use a process called discernment to determine whether they're dealing with a genuine case of possession, which is like a one-liner joke to me. (laughs) (laughs) In a crucial step, the person requesting an exorcism must undergo a psychiatric evaluation with a mental health professional. The vast majority... Thank God. Right? The the vast majority of cases are... And there, as many of the individuals claiming possession are found to be suffering from psychiatric issues such as schizophrenia or uh, dissociative or, uh, disorder, or to have recently gone off uh, psychotropic medication. Mm. If neither the mental health evaluation nor a subsequent physical exam turns up a standard explanation for the person's affliction, the priest starts to take the case more seriously. <clears throat> At this point, he may begin looking for what the church considers the classic signs of demonic possession. Facility in a language, Jake and I already kind of covered this, but facility in a language the person has never learned, physical strength beyond his or her age or condition, access to secret knowledge, and a vehement aversion to God and sacred objects. Including crucifixes (laughs) and holy water. Oh no, it's happening. The church wants to tread lightly and be skeptical when examining possible cases of demonic possession, Lampert said, who's another uh, person he's interviewing. I don't know if they brought his name up yet or not. I don't remember. 
and thus treats exorcism, quote, like a nuclear weapon, a countermeasure that is important to have in the arsenal, but that should be used only when no other explanation can be found. According to Catholic doctrine, in order to take possession of a person in the first place, demons rely on doorways, which can include things like habitual sin and family curses, in which an act of violence or iniquity committed by one generation manifests itself in subsequent generations. But the priest I spoke with kept coming back over and over to two particular doorways. Nearly every Catholic exorcist I spoke with cited a history of abuse, in particular sexual abuse, as a major doorway for demons. Hmm. Thomas said that as many as 80% of the people who come to him seeking an exorcism are sexual abuse survivors. According to these priests, sexual abuse is so traumatic that it creates a kind of soul wound, as Thomas put it, that makes a person more vulnerable to demons. Hmm. The exor- yeah, I know. The exorcists, to be clear, aren't saying... Uh, sexual abuse torments people to such an extent that they come to believe they're possessed the exorcists contend that abuse fosters the conditions for actual demonic possession to take hold which is even crazier than anything yeah the other (laughs) explanation makes so much more sense someone having something so terrible happen to them yeah Uh, but from a secular standpoint the link to sexual abuse helps explain why someone might become convinced that he or she is being menaced by something sinister and overpowering yeah Absolutely. And I uh, mentioned a part of the text above mentions two particular doorways. One is this abuse angle. The other is like Ouija boards and (laughs) occult stuff in general. I clipped that out. So that's why that was (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons and metal music. Anything that isn't the Bible, basically. (laughs) Um, Most of the exorcists I interviewed said that they believed that demonic possession was becoming more common. And they cited a resurgence in magic, divination, witchcraft, and attempts to communicate with the dead as a primary cause. According to Catholic teaching, engaging with the occult involves accessing parts of the spiritual realm that may be inhabited by demonic forces. Quote, these practices become the engine that allows the demon to come in, Thomas said. In recent years, journalists and academics have documented a renewed interest in magic, astrology, and witchcraft, primarily among millennials. (laughs) Quote, the occult is a substitution for God, Thomas said. People want to take shortcuts, and the occult is all about power and knowledge. One exorcist pointed to Harry Potter. The books and films, quote, disarmed Americans from thinking that all magic is darkness, he said. After listening to the priests and poring over news articles, I started to wonder whether the two trends, belief in the occult and the rising demand for Catholic exorcisms, might have the same underlying cause. So many modern social ills feel dark and menacing and beyond human control. The opioid epidemic, the permanent loss of blue-collar jobs, blended communities that breed alienation and dread. Maybe these crises have led people to believe that other, more preternatural forces are at work. But when I floated this theory with historians of religion, they offered different explanations. A few mentioned Pope Francis's influence, as well as that of Pope John Paul II, who brought renewed attention to the exorcism rite when he had it updated in 1998. But more described how, during periods when the influence of organized religions ebbs, people seek spiritual fulfillment through the occult. Quote, as people's participation in Orthodox Christianity declines, says Carlos Iyer, a historian at Yale specializing in the early modern period, There's always been a surge in interest in the occult and the demonic. He said that today we're seeing a, quote, hunger for contact with the supernatural. Adam Jortner, or Jortner, not sure, an expert on American religious history at Auburn University agreed. And cut off jean shorts, I think. (laughs) Quote, when the influence of the major institutional churches is curbed, uh, people begin to look for their own answers. 
and at the same time that there has been a rebirth in magical thinking, Jordner added. American culture has become steeped in movies, TV shows, and other media about demons and demonic possession. Today's increased willingness to believe in the paranormal, then, seems to have begun as a response to secularization before spreading through the culture and landing back on the church's doorstep in the form of people seeking salvation from demons through the Catholic faith's most mystical ritual. Hmm. So I like that angle of, like, it was not born in a religious community, but rather in the lack thereof. Like, there was Hmm. no structured mystical experience and so there became a hunger for it and yet now it has kind of come back around in this magical thinking angle to oh we got to go to the religion to find the cure for our like psychosis here interesting jeffrey lieberman the chairman of columbia's psychiatry department told me that if you conducted the survey of the population seeking exorcisms a great majority would likely suffer from a known psychiatric condition and dissociative identity disorder would be quote at the top of that group of the conditions But Lieberman also acknowledged the possibility that a small percentage of these cases could be spiritual in nature. Hmm. Over the course of his career, he's seen a couple of cases that, quote, could not be explained in terms of normal human physiology or natural laws. Kind Hmm. of a freaky quote, actually. Yeah. The most recent edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as the DSM-5, seems to recognize this still mystifying dimension in abnormal psychology. It lists a, quote, possession form, unquote, subtype of dissociative identity disorder, and notes that the, quote, majority of possession states around the world, unquote, are an accepted part of specific spiritual practices, whether they be trances, shamanic rituals, or speaking in tongues. The DSM-5 is not saying that possession is a scientifically verifiable phenomenon, but rather is acknowledging that many people around the world understand their abnormal mental experiences and behaviors through a spiritual framework. Mm. Luis Fernandez, who was on the committee that made this change, explained that Western psychiatry had long failed to accommodate widespread spiritual traditions. There are, quote, societies where the supernatural is a daily occurrence, he said. It's really modern Western societies that draw a sharp line between experiences attributed to the spiritual or supernatural and the material daily world. Pour over these spiritual and psychiatric frameworks long enough, and the lines begin to blur. If someone lapses into an alternate identity and announces itself as a demon bent on wresting away that person's soul, how can anyone prove otherwise? Psychiatry has only given us models through which to understand these symptoms, new cultural contexts to replace the old ones. No lab test can pinpoint the medical source of these types of mental fractures. In one sense, the blurry shadow selves that surface in what we call dissociative states and the demons that Catholic exorcists believe they are casting out are not so different. Both are incorporeal forces of ambiguous agency and intent, rupturing a continuous personality and forever eluding proof. Hmm. And I like the way he says all that. Yeah, he got good words. He got good words in his mouth. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I think he's kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense of he, for me at least, is alluding to that very plastic space of one's mind Mm -hmm. and one's perception of one's own reality and own narrative And so it is kind of the trick of like, well, who's to say it isn't like a psychological break or a demon? Right. Is there even a difference necessarily? Yeah. It all comes back to 
what cultural framework you want to draw from. If you're in the church, if you're in the Catholic community, you're going to call it a demon. And if you're in the more secular community, you'll call it a psychological break. Mm-hmm. And But from there, at the end of the day, you know, spades a spade. Right. So, yeah, that's my segment. I like it. No, that's perfect. Because that's what we kind of covered the first time we talked about positions. So sorry. The time that I... No, not your fault at all. <laughs> I totally didn't pick up on it until you started to talk about it. I was like, wait a minute, Crotton? Uh, but um, the reason we haven't covered possession much before is because these stories all tend to come back to the same place, which is they do circle back around. Seems more like there's it's not like oh there's just some kind of uh, spirit inhabiting somebody and oh isn't that scary? It's more like hey this person needs help, right? And that's really the broader story. So this really gets at that in from both angles and saying that hey whatever the case is this person is not doing well and we need to do what we can to make them better. At the very least, too, this does push the narrative forward in the sense, the meta-narrative, I guess, of, I, I for one, did not realize that the need for exorcism was on the rise so yeah. explosively, certainly not in America, though in a way it does not surprise me either because sure. our culture is wrestling right now, let's just put mm-hmm. it that way, um, with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, and probably will continue to do so for some years, unfortunately, and fortunately at the same time, but... Yeah, and you know sometimes what I mean? maybe people starting to recognize that they have very awful thoughts about groups of people or things like that, and they don't know how to reconcile things that may have been instilled in them from an early age, just yes. beliefs. Right. They start to think might be an evil force within them. There could be totally different ex- explanations for why they're f- feeling the way they are, but a lot of different different rationales for how you could approach the same conclusion that, hey, I need to be exercised. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Got to join a Gold's Gym. <laughs> yeah and with that <laughs> um do we want to try and make some kind of grander broader statement about just the idea of belief in evil sort of spiritual energies in general kind of yeah like, just, there's always been this belief in some kind yeah. of negative influence that is not just the desire to do bad or things like that but in fact actual entities encouraging us to do bad things or wishing for our pain right so i mean i I guess for myself it kind of bumps into two things at once one is the tendency to project our internal sort of thoughts and feelings and beliefs into the world and the desire to make those things tangible in some way yeah so it's the same the same kind of engine that may make you want to oh think you're think the angels or whatever you know what i mean this kind of mm-hmm. the delight of believing in heaven or the, the draw of believing in the sort of benevolent god or angels and all this kind of thing yeah but that is combined with i think the brain's sort of hardwiring for problem solving and problem detection sure. and the the instinct to give so much more weight and we're just trying to connect cause and effect. Cause, yeah, exactly. When things like, oh, go what, wrong, what can you blame? Exactly. Yeah, I can't blame myself because that's just horrible yeah. and painful. And I can't, you know, I don't want to blame those close to me because I love them, and I don't want to blame just circumstance because that's ridiculous and it has to be someone's fault. So, hmm, Something could be some evil, evil some, spirit. Yeah, and you know, I think unfortunately most of us like to have that they like you know people love to have a scapegoat they love to have something to go it's, it's their answer, fault if pass else. the book yeah in fact a part of that article that i didn't read today 
describes how a lot of people who have very real psychiatric disorders are actually let down to find out that they are, they don't pass that discernment test. So yeah. the Catholic, you know, community, they turn away a lot of cases of people going like, oh, I need an exorcism. They're like, you, you're, you need a psychiatrist or you yeah. need like some medication, which I actually feel like is kind of to their credit. Oh, I'm um, very glad to hear that. That's very important because it's such a huge difference from decades ago, centuries ago, how much it was not understood and how much people, how, how many people were not given the correct treatment for serious medical problems. Right. That they, could have really benefited from um, otherwise end up suffering as a result but the hilarity in a weird way of someone finding out they're not possessed by a demon <laughs> yeah. and being like oh i just have There's, dissociative personality yeah. disorder shit it's a it's a mystical answer it's a very like involved right. as far as the idea of it being a supernatural answer but it is a simple answer right where it's like, okay well here is my problem here is the answer exactly it was it, as the quote was something to the effect that the guy was let down that he at least had a why when it was a demon right he at least had some some agent where fortunately most of the things that we feel are wrong within ourselves or in our lives are not quite as cut and dry as that and so it's it can be a lot of different factors that you have to explore right. in a broader sense so we encourage every single person listening to go to therapy it's yeah. great it's so great i was even just gonna say i as i was sitting here listening to you i describe my own very negative parts of my mind as my demons yeah i think I that's how we opened the episode <laughs> we're talking about yeah we're talking about the theme song and how <laughs> we so funny. liked how it came together and i said you did a good job but how we're editing it and you were you instantly thought that I didn't like it or something. Yes. That's your own personal demons talking. And I'm like, we, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that is how, just in general, that's a, a an idiom for things that you struggle with internally. Right. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's, right. It's all tied together. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no shame in getting mental health uh, help of any kind. It doesn't have to actually involve medication necessarily, right. but just talking through things. It's just a way of helping understanding more about why you do the things you do or or why you feel the way you do and what can help that and um yeah it's a lot of stuff that is not demons and is helpful <laughs> but is evil and should be oh, definitely for sure <laughs> yeah no kidding. question um, <laughs> but um, i think yeah i think that's kind of where we're trying to land with this particular topic indeed it's just that hey there's a lot more going on in our brains than we necessarily think of all the time and a lot it leaves a lot of room for a lot of not pleasant stuff for our everyday lives, and it can be scary, it can be weird, it can make for a, a ridiculous number of movies that all follow the exact yes. same plot line. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, now, if you're currently possessed, please email us, contact at superduperstitious.com. We would love to hear from any demon out there who <laughs> is currently in possession the body of, of a, a person. Listener, yeah. Yes. We would love to hear how you want to destroy them and their lives and all the rest of it. I want to hear from both of you, in fact. Send two separate emails. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we'll, we won't respond to either of you, but we will uh, read your stories. We'll read your on stories on the, uh, on episode, the air. Yeah. Yep. That about covers it, I think. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Catch you next week when we get back to our usual bullshit, yeah, probably. We'll take a deep dive back into our comfortable <laughs> dessert zones of <laughs> ghouls and squatches. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is Super Derbicious and uh, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.